Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of Armchair Philosophers. Today's topic, retrofuturism. If you like our videos, please like, comment, share, and subscribe. The more people we have watching, the more likely more content can be put out and the better quality of that content. Uh, today, joining me, I have guests uh, Ridge and guests Colin, uh, both common hosts that you've heard before. Yeah. I'm uh, your host, Andrew Ryan, and let's get into this. So, retrofuturism. Very interesting phenomenon. Uh, for those at home wondering what retrofuturism is, it is basically, in the past, people would imagine what the future looks like. And as we moved forward in time, and the, mo the actual future looked nothing like that vision of the future, that vision of the future gains this kind of it reminds you of the past, but it's also the future feeling, hence the term retrofuturism, because futurism is the idea of the future and retro being in the past. It's, it's how, how things look in the Jetsons. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. the fact that 2001 A Space Odyssey could nail a bunch of things about the future, but miss out on uh, portable. Like they, they have video conferences, they don't have handheld devices. So I wanted to talk. Uh, Firstly, um, retrofuturism is usually split into multiple different types of retrofuturism, um, nominally known as the punks. And yeah. I, I will I go over know. those. So, but first, I wanted to talk about an interesting theme about retrofuturism. So in the past, uh, we've talked about how people value the past, like through lost worlds, through nostalgia, and almost create a fictional reality of that past. Uh, this is the opposite in some way, but I think ends up with the same result. They create this fictional future, and then when it doesn't happen, you see a lot of pe people on the right wing point to that and be like, man, we could have been here, but we're not. Where's my jetpack? So, like, oh, no, I don't want, but also I don't want to subsidize the sciences. I think it would. Be need to explore what the difference is. Do you guys think there's a difference between this fictional past and fictional future? Or are they more alike than we than we want to admit? I was going to say I think they feed into each other. Like our our views of what a future should have been often depend on an idealized form of the past, um, especially if we aren't willing to grapple with the realities of the past or the present for that matter. But um, I don't know. I think they're linked. Yeah, retrofuturism also has, in its own sense, a sense of nostalgia. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, the, the amount of media that has retrofuturistic aesthetic that mm -hmm. people think of nostalgically means that's guaranteed. I really, really like retrofuturism, and particularly the punks, and we can discuss that. But uh, just in the sphere that we're talking right now, one of the things that I love is that it's it's the future from the past's perspective, right? And I just think that's so cool because you're already working in a fiction and then you have a fic like a history or a vision within that fiction. So like that that's actually like intellectually and and philosophically that is so complex and so wonderful and I love how somehow we are we are easily able to understand it right? Like steampunk is not that hard for people to wrap their head around. There's a, this intrinsic like, oh yeah, I get that. I understand what they're trying to do. 
right? And even though when you think about it and you break it down, you're like, this is actually really complicated what's happening, like in terms of thought, in terms of history, in terms of like just fictional vision. So anyway, I love it. And just to answer your question, I think it's a fantastic synthesis. And I think this is a great example where we're not saying, oh, this is past or this is future. It's both, right? It really is both. But I just, my simple answer would be a future from a past perspective. Right. And I'm going to start with the punks. What are the punks? Well, the punks are going to be a point of contention for the next 30 minutes. Does anybody know? Yes. Does anybody know why they're called punks? Yes, because initially they were based in punk philosophy. The idea of rebellion against a system and highlighting how that system can become a problem. So when you look at cyberpunk, a lot of people think of the neon and the glowing lights, but the point of them is the megacorps. The point of mm-hmm. cyberpunk is that this is this is a bad future. This is one where people have to fight against the authorities that be because that is the necessity dictated by those circumstances. Thus, it is punk. Um, similar things can be said about steampunk and dieselpunk, though those have been sort of reduced to throw some gears and bells and whistles on it and call it an aesthetic, which I, in particular, actually really disagree with. I think that getting away from the punk at the base of it is sort of neglectful, uh, especially, like, it's a, it's a topic I have opinions about, but I will uh, hand, hand back over to you guys for now. Well, I just wanna wanted to touch on that because I noticed that was the most common theme and takeaway when people talk about retrofuturism or there's any like good cited sources on retrofuturism and what it does to us is that a, a lot of papers dis- describe it as this kind of feeling of what if like mm-hmm. and I, I i can't help but notice <laughs> that we've covered that in our own discussions uh so it, it was just something i wanted to address before we get into what the punks are yeah and like what common threads there are between those those genres i think that just has a lot to do with like that it's fantasy sci-fi which just covers that subject a lot of what if right yeah yeah so hold on is it fantasy sci-fi though no no that's that's not that's not even the argument that i'm i'm making i'm just saying that it it, it is in that same like realm uh, and and a lot of the things that we've been talking about like our video games have uh, largely been in the realm of fantasy sci-fi and we're talking about fictional worlds and ah, gotcha. just all those yeah yeah broad broad view here yeah yeah yeah, we've kind of come to the apex of our little nostalgic uh, stream mm-hmm. of topics. And I want, it's almost ending with one that kind of weirdly fits a lot of both what you would normally associate nostalgia with the past, but in this case, it's nostalgia for a future that never, never existed. Yeah. So, so I'm going to start with probably the most well known punk, but not in name. And it's Adam Punk. And people might not know what Adam Punk is because they have never heard that term before, but I'm just going to say a few things and people will probably instantly recognize the aesthetic of Adam Punk. Uh, the Jetsons, as mentioned earlier. Back to the Future, um, Fallout, uh, the Fallout games. Uh, all three of those things have Adam, heavy Adam Punk influences. Um, the Jetsons in particular is the very antithesis of that uh, genre. It's where you have ray guns, you have people in flying cars, you have cities in the sky, you have this very light, bright aesthetic, 
to everything. Um, you wear little fishbowls on your head with tight red suits and white rings are literally everywhere. You have ray guns, etc. I'm not certain that that's correct, actually. I think it's I think it's missing the punk. It's got the atom, certainly, but so it is originally inspired by the Cold War era. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's inspired by Cold Era, Cold War era sci-fi serials, and the obsession with nuclear power. I was going to say that's the crux, the nuclear thing. Yeah, but it's how it's about how it's used, right? Like if you mm-hmm. think of um, if you think of the Foundation novels, for instance, uh, the like classic Asimov novels. As oh man, amazing. Another, they're another th- those can some of them be a great example of atom punk but in certain other ones it's more of a general glorification of the idea of uh nuclear power leading into a future that's not inherently so there are more general expl- exploration that have elements of atom punk in them and i think how they talked about a lot of things codified certain tropes that were used going forward, but mm-hmm. they were also contemporary to those those magazine serials at the time, right? But yeah. by contrast, when you look at the Jetsons, it's uh, it's very much a, a dystopia that's masquerading as a utopia, uh, and it's masquerading to the to the viewer as utopia. And I I think that is very a very unpunk of it, uh, if I'm to be completely honest. Well, yeah, it. It's a term, and you could argue we're not using the term correctly, but the punk, yes, like I'm something get punk, yeah. is no longer associated with its origin. I would say. No, I think it still is. I think, um, well, I, I guess think it's evolved. Think, yeah. I think it's just evolved and changed. So people see something that is not what you would consider, like not in the original sense of steampunk, with that punk aspect. But they're like, oh, that's now what we understand to be steampunk because we're using it in a retrofuturism type sense right oh and i think that's a horrible shame the, re- the rebellion <laughs> the rebellion is rebelling against the like the historical accuracy of it right yeah as it's, opposed it's the to same with uh literally like as so okay, it's yeah, it, the but... punk the punk is creating a what if in a rebellious sense not a like not a trying to draw a parallel to reality and saying this is how we're going to um, this is how we're going to argue against a certain system. Oh, right? for sure. So I'm, I'm not inherently against using what ifs, uh, especially positive what ifs, as uh, the basis for something that is set in one of the sort of punk genres. But I think you have to be careful about what you do with it, because there's a tendency when portraying utopias to fall into certain assumptions about what you think is a utopia, which, well, you can say, man, look at this great thing we could have might not really be a great thing for everyone and that's not that's that's not particularly punk mm-hmm. that's uh well that's... for the jetsons i don't really think they really acknowledged what they set up is actually terrifying yeah um they just it's a fun kids cartoon we've done one with caveman using dinosaurs as technology let's do this yeah yeah for sure but the the point is that it's it's um painting a picture for those viewers be they children or otherwise that says, look at this, it's the future, everything is great here, except like, everything is very much not great there. But it keeps going, look at it, look how great it is, look what we could have. And so that's, that's... It might be, it might be like doing it, like ironically, without even realizing it's doing it ironically. Like it might be um, doing counter propaganda. I'm, sure I'm pretty sure it's not. Uh, no, 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 because we're able to have this conversation, right? We're able to have this conversation and identify the fact that we see so many issues in this. If we're able to do that, then it's already revealed itself, right? I'm not certain that's 
entire like i get where you're coming it's, from it's not it's not the artist's intention but it's it's the interpretation that we're able to achieve with it i get that i don't think that is uh the case in in the case of the the funds uh, the, the jetsons and moreover i don't think that um like i think that you can write off our the author's artistic intention and thing like death author's of the dead author, and all that yeah era. but you can only do that to so f- much of a degree when so much of what the author's particular biases are come through in what is portrayed as good or worthwhile in a piece of media. Like, there's only so far you can say, yeah, but the world has all these other values, and you can. But, like, if a, a core part of the narrative of a media is in support of bad things, like, there's only so far you can write that off. I think I think an interesting one... Like followed, I think is a really good example of that. Yeah, and it's 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 more focused to look at what you just said at the beginning of that was that retrofuturism is look what we could have, and then what we've talked about has been a lot of look at what we've lost. It's just interesting. It's they almost seem like they should be butting heads, but I find myself thinking they're very similar. Those kind of two feelings. I think they're. I think people often tie them together. Like I think people often use one as a jumping off point into the other or correlate them. And that's why I think so many people who love, you know, Dark Souls will also like Star Trek. Like that's mm-hmm. there 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 is a similarity in terms of what pulls people in. But I think that when you do a deeper analysis of them and a deeper analysis of why those themes appeal to people, you can maybe get into a little bit of differentiation between uh, why some people prefer one over the other and what the root causes of that are. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that there is the idea of longing for a, a greater past that was versus mourning a future that will never, a, a golden future that will never be. Have you're, you're both like eight, you're, you're melancholy for an age that is not, but there's a difference to that. Often the, the former will come with blame of something for a fall. Whereas the latter will come from or come with a blame of something for preventing that future. And while one is basically retributive in nature, the other one is something that can be solved to move forwards. Well, I feel like both of them address, like they go, like the one will be like, if we solve this, we'll get back there. And the other one will be Mm -hmm. like, if we solve this, that's how we get there. That's all. Uh, You know what? That's a, that's a good argument or, it's not a bad. I I certainly cannot rebut it at the moment. So, fair enough. I think let's go back to Adam Punk itself. Does do, does this like punk ring out to you? Uh, is there a lot of like things you can think of when I when I say the word Adam Punk and like I don't think Adam Punk in itself is a great like known genre. People would be better off calling it Jetson Punk, honestly. But I think there would be uh, better names yet than that. But I think that people people don't tend to recognize it as a thing because when we talk about retrofuturism in particular, it is far and away the first thing that comes to your mind. Mm-hmm. Like someone who had, someone who hears the word retrofuturism and doesn't have to look it up on Wikipedia immediately to know what it is, their brain just went to the Jetsons, right? Yeah. Moreover, um, there's a billion and one movie posters and serials and yeah. etc. All those old magazine covers from like mm-hmm. golden age, silver age sci-fi stuff. All Adam Puck. Yeah. yeah. I think um Duck hmm. Dodgers in the twenty first and a half century. 
Yeah. Was it 21st and a half? Flash Gordon. Yeah, um, Flash Gordon. I'm also wondering when, when we, and we'll, we'll discuss this like as we go into it, we're already kind of doing it, but I'm wondering how much there's an academic take on some of these things or a, or a more, you know, a, just a, a place of depth uh, where we can, we can go with these things. And then also the commercialized, the, um, the popularized, you know, version of these things. So, so I think of like, when I think of uh, Adam Punk, you know, there, on the one hand, there's the literary thing and we're talking about, you know, Asimov's foundation. Asimov's foundation is both like, this incredible piece of sci-fi that we can do a lot of deep diving on. It's also this like kind of pulpy, like sci-fi story at the same time. Like, so you kind of have both things happening. And I think that that happens in a lot of the punks as well. Yeah. Well, I think Adam Punk is like one, a good one to start on a, because it's probably the most well-known one without being the most well-known one in terms of what people in this kind of punks naming circle call it, I guess. Every time you say it, you're like holding a cheese grater against my heart, man. You're yeah. I just uh, the the people intent on naming everything like this a sort of punk and creating a punk family yeah. is all I'm talking. Those people would call it Adam Punk. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because like I as 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 um science fiction or sort of futuristic uh, settings go. Uh, we were talking about you know Flash Gordon and all the Silver Age stuff. And then it's interesting because that actually leads into something that I would consider far more punk than basically any, almost anything labeled Adam Punk, which would be um, like the original Star Wars movie, mm. uh, which is thematically much more so, but has like this, it has that grittier, uh, almost, I, I don't think cyberpunk is a good descriptor to apply to Star Wars, the Star Wars. No, setting. but I totally get what you're saying that like the grungy, like, you know, yeah. these planets don't have great systems and there's smugglers and bounty hunters and stuff. Could I play Luke as a shadow runner? Probably. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's a bit of, um, which is interesting because it's, it borrows from a lot of Adam punk stuff, albeit with a, but the aesthetics are grungier instead yeah. of, instead of relying on that, uh, the future will be very sort of Cave Johnson-y. It's got that more like <laughs> the future will be Cave Johnson-y for a select group of people and everyone else is going to be uh, farming moisture in the desert, you know? Yeah. It's uh, like retrofuturism is always bright and flashy. Like if you literally Google it, you'll see most yeah. the top 20 things you'll probably see are Adam Punk. Um, it's, got, it's got your space trains, your laser guns, your yeah. yeah. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned Star Wars because I never thought about it in that context of like an inheritor of Adam Punk without being Adam Punk. Like it is, it is truly something that takes something and then doesn't do it right. That really changes yeah. it. Yeah, really great example. I think that's cool. It's got the flashy lights. It's got the laser swords, but it's also got like Luke wearing a poncho, wandering around in a grungy basement. You know. I think we can we can track a lot of this. Like we can do timelines of how these things change. Yeah, cool. I I would out of any of the known different variations on these genres of retrofuturism, I would say Star Wars is Adam Punk. Um, like if you look at any of the speeders or a yeah. lot of the spacesuit designs, we have it. We've got a, a very sleek '90s cantina on mm-hmm. the central planet of. Yeah, it's it's got a it has a lot of that aesthetic of what the you know what people thought the future would look like, but it's been a, like it it looks like you've sandblasted it for a hundred years, you know? Yeah. Like there was a shiny future, 
and then a couple hundred years of lawless mm-hmm. nonsense happened and blatant fascism and now here we are <laughs> which mm-hmm. now brings us to the, probably the next most well-known one uh steampunk yeah steampunk as an aesthetic is always weird to me because at one point i'm pretty sure all you needed to be steampunk was cogs glued on a random location a monocle and a top hat i think that's where we are now okay because steampunk at its very original core is the idea that instead of using electricity we used steam and sometimes this alternative weird magic energy to create steam-based machines and weird um weird worlds based on that and you kind of get a lot of steampunk in the works of jules verne or if you literally look at Leonardo da Vinci's drawings, you'll pretty much get the idea of what most steampunk stuff will look like. H.G. Wells. H. G. Yeah, H.G. Yeah. Wells. It's like, uh, it's it's the future pictured by uh, Victorian. Victorian uh, yeah. England a lot of the time. Yeah. So here's an interesting question for you, and one I do know the answer to, so we can fill it in. If But what? where do you think the punk in steampunk comes from? I'm going back to what I said earlier. I, I I think that the punk comes from a rejection of of history as as is and history as could be. But specifically with steampunk, what part of the cogs and gears makes that that sort of genre punk? I feel like you have a thesis. Yeah, it's not a thesis. So what it comes from is specifically the rejection of the monopolization of technology and progress okay. by people who can afford to do so. The idea is uh, with how expensive like electronics and and modern technology has become, uh, at least before computers became quite as ubiquitous as they are now, the idea of something you can get your hands on and get down and do dirty work with, but like make something incredible. The fact, the idea that That's you really as cool. knowledge of how you know like a basic understanding of how gears and pistons work, which wasn't exactly restricted upper class knowledge. Uh, could build a giant mechanical, you know, suit or whatever that you could make incredible yeah, yeah. things from something that is uh, that was sort of passed by as less efficient or lower class. That's the so idea awesome. That, that would That's become, really cool. yeah, and the idea that that would become dominant is where the punk and steampunk comes from. It's it, yeah, it's almost like uh, it's almost like Frankenstein itself could be classified as steampunk. Because it's kind of that. Yeah. What can? What is? What are the upper limits of technology? And steampunk, like, tries that to the extreme. Like, how many hot air balloons can we put in the sky to make a city? And you see that, and it's like, what if we had giant walking machines powered on steam and gears? And you're like, oh my god, like that. That's insanity. Like science. That's like during the age of invention, right? So that you're probably yeah. thinking there are yeah. no bounds to science. There are no limits. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because it's funny that we talk about um like because Frankenstein, great book though it is, is definitely not particularly steampunk. And no. it's interesting in that you'd see a lot of so a lot of earlier steampunk stuff. You very much have something that is still to a degree a core part of the aesthetic is reuse of technologies and sort of the the massive scrap heaps that people can pull bits from. The idea that there is a, a junkyard full of unused things that everyday people can go and build something interesting out of, which mm-hmm. is interesting because so much modern steampunk embraces the Victorian era part of it and goes mm-hmm. hard on, oh, we want to have like the nobility with fancy gears covered or fancy dresses covered in gears and like 
you know, only the the best and the most brilliant uh, will will be the ones to design the giant clockwork horrors of the future, which is arguably extremely un unpunk. Like it's it's the unpunk part of steampunk, which I know is why I think I mentioned this last episode. Uh, some people prefer using the term gas lamp fantasy. Some for, people, yeah, for for work a little more. They're a little more focused on the like the the uh a bit of the steampunk like the machinery aesthetic but more about the era aesthetics of that that point in time as opposed to steampunk ones which focus a little more on the idea that your everyday every man could go and build whatever gear-based contraption they wanted to do i also want to touch on what i know which is that almost every punk um if you've known much about it when I mention it, most people will be able to close their eyes and instantly come up with an aesthetic, a common aesthetic. Yeah. Something that almost becomes fashion, like a way to identify yourself by this past aesthetic. Yeah, for sure. And I think I also want to touch on the technology aspect. Like when I, when someone says gaslight fantasy, I can fit things in there that aren't steampunk. And when I say steampunk, there are things I know are defined by it and can't fit in there. But I think Colin had an interesting point. Yeah, I, I think it's important to just to talk about the uh, how many different like mediums and different um, like sectors can come out of uh, punk and like and genres in general, right? But so for example, in steampunk, like you have steampunk music, um, right? Abney Park, for example, one of the first steampunk bands are fantastic. I love them one of the one of the early fans here um and then you've got like you said fashion right and then you've got books and then you've got you know movies and like there's all kinds of stuff like it's not just one thing which is something that i really really like about a lot of the punks you have the same thing with you know when we talk about cyberpunk you have cyberpunk music and so on and so forth but i just find that fascinating that you have multiple things coming out of one thing really cool yeah and like it's even more interesting that you can get that genre from a book where there's none of that aesthetic Mm -hmm. And it's in the writing that is almost acting as the aesthetic, like how it's written. It really all weaves together. It really does. Yeah. It can be very cohesive when it's done right. Yeah. It's almost like the person who first thought of this aesthetic, which are the original people in that century, that, which I guess we would put this around the Industrial Revolution, right? Yeah. So like that kind of imagery with... What I would say, where you boil it down and flanderize it to the point where you get the people walking around with monocles, cogs, and top hat. Like, it, it's insane that we can go from such detail to such... <laughs> That's all you need, three things. But, yeah. It very much depends how you wear them. Goggles on or off. <laughs> so, Love it. Huge fan. Huge fan. We're going to jump to the next probably well-known one. Cyberpunk. Yeah. Um, probably more recently, this term is associated with a game that came out way too early and (laughs) was very buggy, but surprise, this is actually an overarching genre that actually comes from a tabletop game. If I'm not correct, if you're going to pen it on uh, Shadowrun, it definitely comes out before. If I'm, if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure cyberpunk is a tabletop game. It is. Uh, it's not where the genre name comes from, though. William Gibson, oh. Neuromancer, coined the 
coined the term cyberspace and that's where cyberpunk is usually said to come from there's a oh, couple okay. other like there's others that snow people crash talk about snow crash uh, exactly yeah um difference engine kind of stuff yeah, yeah. there's so, the, it was a whole genre of books really before it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. everything okay i just uh know that not even a lot of people who know about cyberpunk the game would know that it comes from a tabletop let alone that which is interesting yeah. thing to explore which, which is great yeah, yeah, I think I think more people than you expect would, but it's only because like every single video game journalism uh, outlet was talking about. Did you know that Cyberpunk twenty whatever it is comes from a tabletop game? Because they were trying to like explain what uh, Keanu was up to and what his character was before it came out, so people wouldn't be confused. And like I'm a nerd about punks, but I I think it's great that you know when you find one, then you start discovering the others. Like there's there's yeah. punks and there's aspects of punk that like i don't know about that when i find them it's really cool and it's really really just like mind mind melting i love it i think cyberpunk uh, is is more interesting than most of these others because most of these others present usually a future that you're like that's kind of cool right yeah but cyberpunk takes the approach of don't let future get to this point because the mm-hmm. in cyberpunk, a common theme is the Earth is overpopulated. Another common theme is tall, black, boxy, very industrial-looking buildings covered in ads and advertisements. Always raining. Usually, yeah, neon, horrible weather. Uh, I'm not sure might... I agree with. I'm sure I agree with the overpopulated part, but certainly uh, overused. Like in terms of. Um... Well, I I recognize the overpopulation theme in a lot of cyberpunk. Thing. Yeah, they're usually shipping people off world and doing the colonies and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but that that's more of a that's more of a authoritarian response to perceive like to perceived problems of overpopulation than it is like if we're if we're coming at it from the punk point of view, certainly the idea of uh oh no, the earth is overpopulated is it's got some problematic roots. Well, the punk aspect comes in right where you said the setting almost has to have an authoritarian yep. uh, dictatorship of some kind. Or, uh, like, mega corporations are the, yeah. you know, the staple of the genre. The idea of a monopolistic corporation that has essentially given itself the power of a nation. And let's not forget about the hackers, right, who are usually yeah. the heroes. You yeah. see this in the, like, a low, low, low-level cyberpunk would be the Matrix, right? Where, yeah. like, yeah. I say low-level where it still takes place kind of in our time period, also kind of not, right? But we see this, some cyberpunk elements before they're, like, yeah. truly cyberized. Um, but the hackers yeah. are usually the heroes because they're the ones that are able to take down those corporations, right? Which is yeah. really awesome, yeah. really, really fun trope. The hackers yeah. and, the, and the other, like, counterculture elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yeah, skateboarders and stuff. I'm gonna state yeah. some movies uh, that are very cyberpunk. Um, Fifth Element. Yeah. Blade Runner. Yeah. And Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, Ghost in the Shell, uh, underrated anime. Check it out if you haven't. It's an excellent anime. Are we talking about the recent um, live action movie? Because I might dispute. No. What what recent live action? Movie? Good. Yeah, we don't we don't talk about that. But also, obviously, Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah, and Shadowrun. And I kind of want to, I just want to give a little, like a tiny shout out to some of the positive things in Cyberpunk. Like, like not to, not to sugarcoat Cyberpunk, because I completely agree that like the, the punk element 
is way more prevalent in cyberpunk than say in steampunk right where i agree like it's been romanticized and commercialized a lot more yeah it's less forgotten it remains more at the core of it especially i think because right. you know blade runner and the likes were such foundational works and mm -hmm. getting people to know about it and they very much focus on that but there are some interesting elements like things like um uh amputees now having like robot arms like just just little things yeah. like that that i'm like oh these are like there are some elements here that we can kind of celebrate as yeah. long as we're not again sugarcoating the entire thing it's really not about that oh absolutely and i think i think the idea of um like cybernetics and limb replacement stuff is a really neat one to look at from that point of view when it comes to cyberpunk mm -hmm. because like who's providing it right well, it's a little bit of look who is providing it, but if you look at a bunch of uh, cyberpunk, especially the role-playing games, especially Shadowrun and uh, Cyberpunk 2077 or whatever it was, mm -hmm. I, I can never remember the number, I'm sorry, uh, a lot of them have these interesting mechanics by which uh, essentially they punish you for taking more cybernetics. You lose mm -hmm. specifically part of your like your soul or your spirit or whatever. And mm -hmm. it's interesting because as a mechanic, that sounds super anti punk it's like the idea of people with disabilities being able to get prosthetics is certainly not bad or taking away from their humanity but mm. it's interesting and, and that's very much where it's gone in more recent editions of a lot of those games but if you look back further you'll see that a lot of them started with making a commentary about um it's not that you've you know replaced your arm and so you're one arm less human it's the fact that that arm that you bought from one of these megacorps is proprietary so it's it's like your your ipod yeah you, know? you yeah, can't repair yeah. it you no longer own that part of you it's up to someone else to control and that is that is bad the 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 badness is not in that like less of your body is inherently human it's in that uh you're selling away in this setting your ability to do stuff to these mega corporations that are the only uh, source of mm -hmm. the ability to keep being a person, yeah. and I think that's super neat. Like, I think that's that's some that is a place that certain cyberpunk things have sort of gentrified a bit. But it's interesting to see where that gentrification comes from and what it used to be, like where the themes of where uh, mm -hmm. what the initial intent was and in the people who created these things in the first place. Yeah, I think it's really interesting you point out the positive of limb replacement because if um, anyone here goes and watches the original Ghost in the Shell movie, the first movie, it's almost... And you could also get this from the remake with Scarlett Johansson. Um, but the original explicitly goes out of its way to talk about how people are replacing parts themselves for the positive. So like people will go in and get mechanical lungs and then they no longer have to worry about asthma and that sort of stuff or allergies yeah or like someone will get mechanical eyes and they don't have to wear glasses or be blind and and, and very very some stuff like you can get like when you start thinking in that dimension you can start thinking of all the failures of our biological organs and what people would replace like some might go straight to the liver and be like i can drink as much as i want now <laughs> some people go to the kidneys like i I also really like um, my my favorite thing actually is um, how they plug into uh, computers and often cyberspace. I've always yeah. really loved that how they plug in and they're able to do things because it, it's we already so so there's this argument to be made. We don't have to have it now, but there's an argument to be made that we're already cyborgs because we keep our phones on, on our ourselves. The only difference is it's not grafted to us, right? 
so so this idea that if we're using technology so much, like this is just another example, if you're able to plug in that it's like now this more intimate connection. And then now you have this question of sort of how cyborg can we be and, and how we interact with our technology and how much a part of it, it can be. So I've always loved that element of cyberpunk too. I, I, I think that that's like awesome, the, the plugging in. Especially when we're talking about the aesthetic. Um... It's a lot of earlier cyberpunk stuff very explicitly having the hackers not not just having you know like a mobile phone or something but having like their computer in a briefcase and then this whole setup strapped to them with like keyboards they can type on the go kind of yeah. thing. like the the whole idea of a decker uh as like the the sort of hacker who moves yeah. around and stuff in old cyberpunk is super neat as aesthetics go and it's interesting how that has transitioned over time into oh, everyone just has smartphones kind of thing. Especially if you look at some of the media, like uh, the Cyberpunk video game coming out, I think has made a lot of changes like that, or uh, Shadowrun over time between each edition, it sort of moves its internal canon or its internal storyline forward like four years with every edition. And mm. they've moved from people lugging around their whole desktop computer with keyboard as they <laughs> run around fighting the megacorps to everyone having a smartphone essentially and yeah. it's interesting how they've transitioned through that in their own internal storyline because they they clearly realized oh actually this is how the future is going to go so we want to move towards that but in their storyline it's happening in like 2060 something you know yeah like they're, they're definitely 60 years too late but they're making the change eventually yeah i wanted i would i think we would all agree that essentials for this aesthetic black leather coats and the black glasses the sun the sunglasses at night the black leather coat mm -hmm. the black leather in general because that's how you know it's punk. and i and i was saying that because you just have trench coats in general mostly to deal with the rain and that at the very end of the day you notice a lot of like culture convergence where it's yeah. like some english but mostly chinese or japanese, or japanese. a lot People, of asian influence yeah yeah uh the whole like street samurai thing with you're going to have a character with a katana that's just required. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I noticed like another big one is like film noir creeps its way in as well. Oh this yeah. Kind of grungy, like walk through of the catch. That's very true. And I also want to touch on the fact that cyberpunk is wider than a lot of people think about. Cause I would argue like the VR virtual reality internet that, that they have common in these settings is yep. almost its own aesthetic that's associated with cyberpunk as well. Cause you can look at videos or like, sorry, movies that have nothing really in common beyond that to cyberpunk, like ready player one there. Yeah. He doesn't live in a dystopia to Tokyo type of thing, though. I'm pretty sure Tokyo in that universe looks like a cyberpunk world. Um, he, li he lives in this kind of very, okay. It's just awful humanity setting. And then, but the VR is so integral to the aesthetic of that kind of world. It becomes cyberpunk. Not cyberpunk. I'll give you the aesthetic of the the online part, but I'd say it's if we're going to talk if we've talked about the gentrification of other genre of other semi-punk genres, Ready Player One is the epitome of the gentrification of cyberpunk. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's someone who is like, I love the trench coats, I love the glass of the online world. I don't want to think about my politics, and then yeah. write a book about it. Well, like, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's the it's the themes are for grade eight book reports take on a genre that has so much theme baked into it. Yeah, I'm I th I'm, I'm very bitter about Ready Player One. It's interesting how even in that 
kind of world where it tries its best to make whatever they're in a good situation. It's like at the end of the day, it's always dystopia. Oh yeah. And you can't really hide it. Like even the cool parts about the setting, people still don't want to go live in this kind of setting, Mm -hmm. which is very different than the other two. Like, uh, like fallout kind of does what cyberpunk is to the atom punk genre where it goes, you don't want to live here. But most atom punk things are like, because the excitement about atom punk is how, look how exciting, great the future is. I think that's, you know, I've been thinking about it ever since you said it, it sort of blindsided me. I never, I never think about atom punk, but I feel like that is what comes like the, the, the part of atom punk that is punk is that it was written at a time of like increasing divides between a lot of different groups and a lot of like socioeconomic stratas and stuff. And it was a genre that introduced a lot of moving forward towards a future with equality. The idea that uh, all of the things that we've let divide us in the past don't have to continue dividing us in the future. Like yeah. Star, Star Trek's your obvious yeah. example where they were so, so... Oh, yeah, Star Trek is atom pop, right? Absolutely. I Okay, yeah. they, they have dilithium crystals, but I'd call it atom punk from... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would qualify it as Adam Punk. I think. Yeah, that's the best example of like a kind of idealized version of the future that might be what Adam Punk is. I'm not sure. I think because there's a lot of old comics and stories, and what's I know there's one uh, that I'm thinking of that ran ages ago. That was essentially a I I believe it was a comic that had this plot line laid out where. interstellar explorer from a civilized planet comes and finds this one where people are either blue or orange and depending which half their faces which they've divided themselves up into this whole racial strata kind of thing and he tries to help them but they're very set on it and he eventually goes back to report that you know they're not ready to join the rest of the galactic community and and the final panel was he takes his space helmet off and he's black and they had to push real hard to get that published at the time like there was a lot of pushback there's stories you can read about the yelling on the phones that went back and forth to get that published but that is what the people who were writing these atom punk stories and building stuff were trying to do yeah love it and you get to steampunk and it's kind of like technology is readily accessible to everyone and no one lives in poverty and we've we've conquered like they that's when flight was just invented so yeah i mean they've kind of just that's why the sky is so heavy in steampunk i think is because that's the last like you notice how the last horizon is each um part of these like for steampunk it's the sky for atom punk it's space uh in the universe Mm -hmm. and then for cyberpunk it's like ourselves like we got to get past And I think technology, I think technology too, because the machine. Yeah. Um, so how far can we push a machine? Technology yeah. as an equalizing force is a really common theme through a lot of them. Even in, even in cyberpunk, where the message is very explicitly that technology should be an equalizing force, even if it is likely to be hoarded by people in power. But like, if you look at the old older steampunk ones and... Even in a lot of cyberpunk ones, there's themes of, yeah, you know, the big companies have monopolized all this and dominated it, and there's massive fluxes and power going on in the Industrial Revolution, where industrialists are becoming filthy rich at everyone else's expense and the like. But me and the boys can go down to the junkyard with some wrenches and build a robot. We're going to go, 
you know, knock the boss's knees in. And that's an equalizing force, right? It's the availability of technology to help equalize imbalances that have existed for a long time. Which actually brings me to, uh, and this is, it just came to mind, and I feel like it would be a good one to ask you guys. Either you read the foundation, uh, not the foundation novels, the uh, the culture novels. Oh, it's on the list. I've heard they're very complex and wonderful. I'm really excited. They are, and they're interesting in a lot of ways, but I'm sort of wondering where they'd fit here. It may be a topic for another time if uh, if neither of you has read into them so far. But We'll talk. We'll yeah, talk. because they're, they're interesting. They're definitely future. They're definitely science fiction. Um, but where they, whether or not they fall into a punk uh, genre, and if so, how so, is a topic for another day, I guess. Yeah, and I, uh, before we uh, go into the maybe like other punks out there, because that we start to leave retro features behind, but we do, I would do want to talk about them. I want to touch on some uh, retro futuristic. Uh, retro futuristic settings that aren't maybe like punks or identified but do definitely exist mm-hmm. you got the uh early uh maybe mid to late 1990 aesthetic of alien and the 2001 a space odyssey kind of it's kind of mm-hmm. its own thing uh and it's like this kind of very clunky mechanical computers these big space stations uh technology to the point where like your average joe Smo trash hauler can drive the uh spaceships uh, like with crews because alien really throws that at your face like right away it's like it's not just astronauts and scientists in space anymore and that's an aesthetic i feel that a lot of movies and like things have definitely drawn upon and it's not quite adam punk it's not quite it's kind of like its own little thing captured in like the eighties to nineties. It's almost space diesel punk. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> That's good. Diesel punk is probably in the next one. And this is where we start. Uh, diesel punk is kind of like world war two's vision of the future. If they were trying like it, I don't even, I don't even know if this actually happened like this kind of diesel punk movement during the forties and fifties. Cause I'm pretty sure that was still Adam punk. But Wolfenstein 3D or like games where you see battle suits alongside World War II soldiers, that's kind of diesel punk as far as I I can tell. <laughs> diesel, diesel punk basically comes down to trading clockwork and steam engines for combustion engines. Yeah. It, it's it's an evolution. It's a, it's a, it is a um, steampunk set slightly in the future compared to where steampunk was set with a lot of the same thing. Yeah. There's also the um, the artwork and um, uh, aesthetic and history of uh, the board game Scythe. Um, yes. That that comes. It's it's this like you have these giant mechanical mechs um, that are sort of steampunk-ish, right? They're a little clunkier, um, and like you said, less gears and stuff. But then alongside like sort of peasant farmers, right? Like sheafing wheat and stuff. And then you have like a, it's almost a little more World War One ish than World War Two, but it's sort of set in between. And again, I think Diesel Punk is one of the less defined ones. Like that's okay, but I, I usually find Diesel Punk as like it's almost like a weird offshoot of, of uh, steampunk in ways. I don't know. It's it's kind of a weird one. Yeah. Yeah. It's not its own thing because a lot of Diesel Punk, as far as I know, is relatively recent. 
and it's mm-hmm. us like looking at the 40s and 50s and doing what steampunk is to that diesel punk and engine like very engines very oily there's i would say the gas max is a very common aesthetic yeah i would say like world war one uniforms so mm-hmm. i think it, i think it has a bit of distinction in that the playing into the themes of the gas mask there are there's a lot more themes of pollution and corruption that you can lay into with it in the same way that you can with cyberpunk yeah like you're, we're mentioning specifically that a core part of cyberpunk alongside all of the the retrofuturistic elements is the idea that a lot of it has come at the cost of destroying the world around us, of destroying nature. And diesel punk lets you tap into that as opposed to steam. Steampunk tends to skip over for the most part, the whole, where all the metals coming from. Yeah. Like it's very plays loose and fast with that because that's not where its focus is. But yeah. diesel punk lets people play around with that a little more. It's, it's interesting because the same thing could arguably said be said, but in reverse, of atom punk which at the time people didn't think you know where's the nuclear waste going to go they were saying oh it's a nucleics that'll last for hundreds of years uh evolving into arguably solar punk and the idea of a renewable like the that that same idea that uh atom punk had of an equitable and and utopic future but instead of being based on space age nuclear age stuff it's the idea of sustainability and things being based in dyson spheres powers and dyson no, sphere. it's not the dyson because <laughs> the dyson sphere is is the the almost the bad guy of that of that trope it's okay solar punk is more of the like cities that are covered in gardens kind of thing oh cli-fi it's every, like cli-fi which yeah is like, it's it's yeah, it's yeah. the renewables and the the moving forward into that sustainable equitable future instead of just right. a future where you know everyone is is equal but also we eat ration bars out of the the thing in the in the mess yeah. so solar punk isn't one we really can talk about though because beyond maybe seeing like what a future city should look like in climate articles and futurism articles. Not a lot of mediums touch on it, really. Like There's there's a lot of books. A lot of yeah. books get into it, but not nearly as many video games. Uh, Maybe or... Black Panther? I, the Marvel movie? Uh, yeah. No, that's kind, of a, that's kind of a neat <laughs> yeah, example. You could actually make that. I, I think Wakanda and Black Panther is definitely, like, has a, a bit of solar punk elements. In gardens and animals. From yeah, remember, yeah. Right? you know what? So, that's actually, that's actually a really good nice. example of it. Um, yeah. and I think it's interesting because I don't. I and here's the here's my contention, uh, sort of tying all this together. I don't think that it's retro retro futuristic. Neither do I think diesel punk is, uh, or there isn't really an equivalent for cyberpunk that I can think of off the top of my head. But I think those two, at least, the idea of diesel punk and solar punk, well, certainly punk genres. I think both of them are characterized by an updating of an older punk genre with modern thought. And because the aesthetics are based on things that are more likely to happen or more, or that actually have happened in the case of diesel punk, I think they shouldn't count as retrofuturism because they are an updating of that. They're, they're not the way we used to think things would look like in the future. Mm-hmm. They are based on more present modern ideas. Which is interesting because I think there's that like there's that distinction where, on the one hand, diesel punk and and steampunk are very similar, but I'd argue that one is retrofuturism and the other is not. Well, there's one more punk I want to talk about uh, before we touch on the idea of what like what these kind of retro what is retrofuturism, what isn't. 
uh, a bit more is like solar punk and everything else is based on a form of energy up to this point, right? Like a form, you notice how they're all like, here are forms of energy that we've discovered and this is what's going to propel us forward. Yeah. And this is, it's almost entirely focused on that energy, whether it be nuclear, diesel, steam, etc. All like cyber is like electricity, right? <laughs> so. they're, they're certainly named for it. I'd argue that it's more about the technology that those powers allow for, but I think that's where our focus goes, certainly. Yeah. It's it's weird because you could definitely argue that for steampunk and uh atom punk that the technologies at the time influence the design. Like how many atom symbols can be found in the forties and fifties and how and yeah. And like how many how many hot air balloons and steamships are you gonna find? It's just it's just very energy focused, which is something I noticed. And now I'm going to talk about one. There probably is a huge list of punks out there that we're not going to talk about uh, because everyone and their mom invents one. I'm pretty sure that'll be a, a a bonus tier once we finally get a Patreon going. Right. And I wanted to talk about one that I think is not retrofuturism and is different than all the ones we've talked about, and that's biopunk. Yes, I knew you were going to say it. So biopunk is super weird if you ever look this punk up. It's like using uh, biological technology. So there's a technology involved, but there's no energy, there's no power. I guess bioenergy and power, if you want to think of it that way. We are the battery. Exactly. Oh Oh my god. That's your your genetic (laughs) engineering one, right? I look at this and it's like, I don't don't want this. (laughs) Like, like nothing about what I look at when I look at biopunk. If you Google it and look, go to images, do I want? It looks like mutations and things that you really don't want happening to the world around you and you. And I don't even get this has never been something people have seen the future as. So here's here's my contention on this one. I think that some people did see a future where we integrated ourselves more heavily with nature and with with various other forms of life. But I think part of the reason that a lot of the material you'll find if you're looking for pictures of it is horrifying is because as a punk genre, a core part of it is the idea that it has been misused or it is, it's not a core part of being a punk genre, but it's a common theme to a lot of the ones we've talked about, that it is something that uh, that should have had potential and still has potential for our for our protagonists, but has been monopolized and misused by corporations, fascism, whatever. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it has like no relation to the others and yet it's still using the same term is kind of baffling to me. I think it does have relation to them though, in its themes. Because like it's related like I mean you you can you can say the biological is the energy. Yeah. You could. And heck, if you're going with biological stuff, I mean, a lot of the more frightening looking ones don't. But think of, um, you can get a lot of almost retrofuturistic aesthetic to it if you take it in the sense of, like, think of the elves in The Lord of the Rings. They've got that whole Art Nouveau thing going on where all of their stuff is integrated into trees, is, is uh, like built into the nature around them. or uh, Eldar in Warhammer 40k, mm. uh, for those who play that. There are these themes of 
building into the things like the they they I think sing Wraithbone into existence with the Eldar, and there's there's this idea of attaching yourself and associating yourself with um, the nature around you, yeah, and the corruption of that. Um, yeah, those are elements of biopunk for sure. Because a lot of that that Art Nouveau feel that you can get with it, uh, I'm definitely thinking of the Lord of the Rings movies elves here, has that like 50s retrofuturistic vibe. Not, not really. Well, it's got the it's got the crystal towers and togas kind of vibe, you know. Nah, like most of the biopunk I see is like like some horrifying like weird gun attached like weird extrusion attached to some guy's arm or like well yeah but that's because you're looking at um you're looking at a genre that has not been nearly as uh as gentrified as the others when you look up biopunk you're actually getting the punk element of it in the same way that if you look up cyberpunk i could put together a pretty convincing collection of you know horrifying downtrodden terrible like you know the the streets full of gangs and corp enforcers and stuff that you would not want to touch with a ten foot pole. It doesn't have any retrofuturistic elements to it. It's all more. It reminds you of the downtown of a modern city, but those elements are still there if you look for. Them. Mm. A lot of um, alien cultures, like we mentioned, Eldar. Um, but I, I noticed this with like you know if we're already on that theme, I mean Tyranids, right? But but things like Alien from the Alien franchise, we we notice a lot of like aliens that we run into are almost always like super biologically focused zerg from starcraft right like like all of that and that's that has an element of biopunk as well um it's almost wanting to be reconnected with nature at the core like wanting to no longer be separate and it's like at some core it's like you lose your individuality but you also don't get all the ugliness oh you know what this might be this might be. Remember, there was that. I can't remember what it was called, but remember, there's that trend uh, in the after the industrial revolution where people just couldn't stand smog anymore, and they they had to move out to the suburbs, and that created the whole cleaner air, better places type oh, of. Planning. There were some other forces at work there, but uh. Yeah, but maybe like the future of after steampunk, realizing that oh, coal isn't great the future of of that period i think a lot of the there is some more modern biopunk stuff for sure but a lot of it is actually significantly older i think it's it's more um it's more contemporary to atom punk or cyberpunk i'd actually pose it as an interesting counterpoint to cyberpunk i guess that's in my in my dualistic system of six punks that i've been building in my brain over the course of this episode right yeah um now um, mentioning that uh, I want to give a shout out to Scott Westerfeld's Leviathan. Uh, yes. That's the first book in the trilogy where he squares off steampunk, a little bit of diesel punk, but steampunk versus biopunk where that's you the, have... the diesel, the diesel punk Germans versus the biopunk British in world war one. Correct. Right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So that you, was have, you have two different punks going on like in a world and it's really cool. I mean, even if you don't like the story, even if you don't like reading, you know, it's just really, really incredible what he put together where he's mashing two punks together and seeing them go head to head. Right. So you're seeing these giant, like, like dogs that have been like just totally morphed or elephants or like whales into airships or whatever, go face to face with like giant mech, like ships and stuff. And like, it's just awesome. And, and because you're looking at two, um, like enormous imperialist national powers Mm -hmm. here, 
which have been, you know, using these technologies for great evil. The fun mm. part is that we follow, uh, for the most part, a couple of kids, one who's joined up with the British Air Force and one who's the son of, uh, oh, what's his name? The guy who got assassinated at the beginning of World War II. Franz Ferdinand. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a, a son of his who escaped in a mech kind of thing. And mm. the results that they get and how they manage to survive and move forwards is by putting aside the imperialist ambitions of their respective places and combining the technologies that they both bring to the table. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a great story. It's a great story. It is. I unfortunately haven't read it. But I, I read it when uh, I used to work at a children's toy store for a summer when I was in high school. And one of the things I had to do for that was read all the books they were trying to sell to people. So I got to read that one at the time. I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to point out that it's just a great aspect of synthesis, even within the synthesized, right? So a yes. lot of these punk things are synthesized, but now we're actually synthesizing the synthesis, which is just like, whoa, I love it. Yeah. And now that it's my turn, I think that um, it also can be viewed as like, all of these have a mastery over something, right? Like, and it's almost elements when you really drill down to it. Like, it's like, okay, steampunk's a mastery over air. Um, diesel punk is mastery over fire. Uh, like, cyberpunk is mastery over electricity, which technically falls under air, but it's like a different energy. Um, and then each one kind of mastery over something. And the, this is mastery over nature, mastery over the earth. And humans dominating that specific thing. They all lived in harmony until Diesel Punk attacked. But I have some news for you about electricity in air. Uh... I also noticed that uh, Nikola Tesla's kind of aesthetic that you get. I mentioned mm -hmm. that last episode. Uh, it's often associated with steampunk, but it's mm -hmm. it's weird that electricity should probably have its own punk if we're going off of the ideas that it's themed around a certain energy and that energy fuels how the technology is designed. There isn't really one for electricity, right? That I can think of. I think it's uh, a little too close to home for a lot of people. Like cyberpunk technically is electricity energy based, but it's, it's more the internet, right? It's more like, I don't know how to Connect define connectivity. it. It's, it's yeah. connectivity. But yeah. I think um, that's interesting. Yeah, like there is definitely a sort of Tesla aesthetic, uh, not the company. But they draw on that. <laughs> they do. They try to. They 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 are the. It, it's it's speaking of synthesis. They're like the epitome of a cyberpunk uh, corporation drawing on the aesthetics of uh, of something that people can relate to in order to stamp people into the ground. It's. Mm -hmm. Don't don't think too hard about the emerald emerald mines. Um, no, that is interesting actually, because there really isn't a. I want to say that almost fits into Adam Punk, but like no, that's that's not quite right. More, it's so like it probably should be called Electro Punk, and that sounds like something that should exist. So I don't, I don't know. know. It does I was just thinking about it and thinking of Have you ever seen? It's a super corny movie, but uh, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, that's that's very diesel punk. It's diesel punk, but it's also got a lot a lot of electricals. Like, I think there's literally like the the whole like you know the door that zaps people as they go through, and it it has the idea that all of these giant robots in it. Spoilers, I guess, if you haven't seen it, but you're not really getting spoiled for anything. It, it, pause <laughs> the podcast now and go watch it. It's it'll be worthwhile. Um, all the giant robots are powered by nuclear power, but yeah. it's definitely not atom punk. In no. terms of its aesthetics, its feel, its its themes, it's strange. It's, it's, it's strange. that 
early electricity and early mechanical like early cyber mechanical stuff like pre cyberpunk pre atom punk but post diesel punk or parallel to diesel punk i guess yeah it's it, it's almost like electricity never gets its own thing and swept under others <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's sort of like it's i, I want to say it's like how you know people use like a vhs to to show that something is taking place in the 90s kind of thing but no one remembers uh what was the other the other like diskette format that they tried to sell movies on for a while that basically went under yeah that everyone's just forgotten about oh, <laughs> it's a loss it's in the same way that that i that like a lot of tesla's ideas sort of lost the war to diesel stuff and got forgotten yeah well futurama is very adam punk yeah and it it, it does like a it does probably what they should do when it comes to Adam Punk and shows you the failures of yes. that kind of future. Episode to episode. Some of it, some, because it has different writers every episode, right? Some of yep. them are really excellent Adam Punk ones, and some of them lean too heavily into the Rick and Morty style humor. There are, there are some, there are, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. There are some aesthetics we're mentioning here that aren't punks, but are retrofuturism, and I'm going to talk about them now. Yes, let's. So, Outrun uh, is a style of aesthetic that is retrofuturistic in nature, but it draws on very specific aesthetics that are different than the boxy, mechanical, alien-inspired aesthetic that I was talking earlier. This retrofuturism, um, I guess I would best point to Tron and say that's the closest I can think of. Like the but, neon lights and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. When people talk about Outrun, there's three four things they picture they picture a nice uh usually red sports car or sports car of some kind you're driving in a black setting towards a city in sunrise or sunset and there's like a palm tree somewhere on the screen and then there's those weird multicolored lines usually there's neon lights and like holographic neon projections yeah and it's kind of this always associated with warm areas more specifically los angeles or or Vegas. Vegas is a lot of people's example of like outrun inspired kind of where it comes from, where where they're kind of draw from. It's very 80s. It's the music video to every like vaporwave soundtrack you've ever heard. Well, we'll get to vaporwave, but outrun in, in particular is also like a music genre. And I think the name comes from a music van band if I'm I think it comes from a video game. I was just looking at it. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, a Sega video game. You're right. Totally forgot. Yeah, in that game, you're shooting down aliens in the back of a Corvette. or No, in a Corvette, driving down the LA freeway. Like, it's insane. (laughs) Yeah. Very, an aesthetic that you could also point to and be like, black leather jacket, black sunglasses, but then the pants have to be jeans. Yeah. And that's where it breaks. (laughs) Like... (laughs) A lot of people might have watched a little movie called Kung Fury or watched a movie called Robocop. Uh, That is almost has a bit of outrun it. Robocop has an aesthetic that I would classify as cyber. Yeah. Yeah. So the other one I wanted to talk talk about is and um, but there I'm doing a bad job describing it, but like the the bits and pieces of projects that people started putting together that you'll run into, especially if you use open source software, like if, you, if you're if you running Linux on your computer, you'll have all these things that 
someone started putting together sometime in the 90s and never really got finished. Yeah. I think that's, and that's sort of where the aesthetic comes from being matched in that time period and a little bit of the aesthetics of the time. Yeah, you Um, get a bit of like, like the the vapor waves, you get like the pinks, the very flat colors, and the outruns, you get the neon reds, neon greens, neon blues type of thing. I think you, I think the neons drop over into vaporwave, but vaporwave has a sense of um, t- temporariness, like like it's, uh, or at least to me, it's always given off a sense of this moment is a flash in the pan, so enjoy it while it's here and hope it never ends yeah and there's like this marble statue aesthetic to complement like an ancient era gone by and then you get like early computer graphics pink there is palm trees again i guess those signal are relaxing place right so they're probably added to give you a sense that this place is good so i think the the defining thing for the color scheme for vaporwaves you said that it's like it's not neon in fairness it doesn't have there's the same... like pinks like flat pinks right which well, you it don't find an outrun it doesn't have the same richness of neon colors but it's very much um like 16 bit or 18 bit color yeah like it's the old uh if you think like windows 95 color palette yeah so that kind of ends all the ones i can think of are are there any you know of that you could call out to Covers most of what I'd think of. I I have one. I'm not sure if it's a punk or not, but it's something that I've been noticing has like some similarities here. Um, so we've been talking a lot about uh, technology, right? And a lot of these revolve around technology. This yeah. is a genre or something that is uh, is almost anti-technology. Um, so it is. Uh, it's basically like uh picture all of technology stops working so like no electricity no gunpowder things like that and things sort of return to the medieval era but with contemporary knowledge so i've seen this in things like the Emberverse by uh, sm sterling dies the fire i see this with um revolution that weird tv show that came out um like five years ago when electricity stopped um and it's sort of this nostalgic return to um, simplicity, but then you have like feudal warlords rising up, and then you know, then you have your heroes getting together and having weird like medieval battles, but they have contemporary speech and, and knowledge and stuff. So you're building like castles at a concert. It's, it's all it's right? very much man um, max. Really kind of interesting. Uh, no, man, no, because they don't have cars or anything. It's nothing like that. Yeah, but like no guns, no cars. It's it's very medieval feudal. Like that's that's what this is. Yeah, I get what like they kind of like it's almost like that conan the barbarian but in the future and then isn't john carter basically that no john carter was uh like there's dinosaurs and stuff but john john carter was mars right that was um that was arguably closer to adam punk but it had, yeah, a, little, it had a little more fantasy to it but i know what colin's talking about this kind of like star yeah. barbarian it's interesting thematically because it's sort of like a a of a lot of the things that enforce modern power structures, but then do we just return to older, also bad power structures? He-Man. There you go. <laughs> I I don't know about He-Man. I I would argue for um. Oh, I had something on the top of my top of my head, but I can't. Quite it's remember. very particular. It's very particular, but it has mm-hmm. to do with like c- current modern technology and the things that we see as sort of decadent and the things that sort of are just destructive um just completely being inactive suddenly and then now we have to live and it's it's presented as 
apocalyptic but kind of in a utopic way like oh we get to start over like it's kind of like you know a lot of a lot of video games will use this as well you wash up on an island and now it's a crafting game and you have to start from the beginning you know like like it's this excitement you know if you take it far enough and really really follow through on it then you start getting sort of wheel of time yeah uh, setting where it is <laughs> spoilers no no spoilers don't spoil it don't spoil it for me or anyone yeah that's probably a good idea but uh would you then like because all of these punks right all these genres and everything named punk doesn't that come from the punk version of the future they wanted like that kind of like heavy metal kind of wasteland with guitars and stuff no because punks didn't want heavy metal wasteland with guitars it's what you have to understand about punks and about punk as a movement is that a lot of the things they make and this has been traditionally one of the failings arguably of the punk movement is a lot of the things they make are not directly representative of what they want they're meant to be thematic thematically appropriate to a moral or lesson they want to tell yeah Um, i just wonder if there was a punk punk you know like an aesthetic they came up with for the future they want so I think the thing is that a lot of punk is inherently reactionary. A lot of punk is saying, here is a trend that could go badly, or here is a future that we need to... It's um, it's about warning against things a lot of the time. And yes, there is an important element of community and of helping people who are vulnerable, but there's, or at least I have not seen as much of a sort of single vision for the outside of arguably like solar punk uh depending on who you ask because that can look very different different places and there's a whole discussion in the community going on at present roughly about how inclusive a lot of solar punk ideas really are because people will come with all these ideas about oh you know it needs to be green space and everything's beautiful and you look like is that appropriate to people who've lived in Arizona for the last thousand years, you know, like that's to what degree is this cross applicable and to what degree do these values actually represent what people need and want. Yeah. But I'd say it's the closest there is to one. Like if every vision of the future is a punk, right. Then the post-apocalypse is post-apocalyptic punk. Like this kind of general idea that we have rattly built cars. There's like, wars over water and oil and bullets and like this kind of like leather clad <laughs> desert yeah, but, but each, each punk is coming from its own perspective right so there is yeah. no unified punk punk right the the punk aspect is um exactly what what's been talked about right this rebelliousness and this rejection and you know all the other things that we've been talking about but there is no unified this is what we're rejecting overall like other than bad stuff right but that's not really fair to argue i guess yeah, I'm talking more about like these kind of unified visions. I don't. Uh, there is, there is none. I've, I've heard a saying that I really like is, uh, in a in a room full of assholes, uh, being kind is the most punk thing you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's punk itself and what all of these are thematically rooted in is something that is, to some degree, based in reaction to. The things around it it's i don't think there is something that is the archetypical punk punk yep it's a response, um, it's a response. I, I guess you know what if you you could make the argument for hope punk i think hope punk oh god i'm gonna help this granny across the street it's gonna be so good punk. <laughs> uh, 
okay, sure. That's not not quite what I was thinking, but yeah, a lot of people forget like the actual punks while rebelling against like strict government and like uh, society's like strictness on appearance and stuff like that. They also were like <laughs> they'd also weren't flawless themselves. Like they had internal. Yeah, I mean, they have the classic problem that a lot of things do of we're going to make satire of bad thing because thing is bad and we want to talk about how the thing is bad. And then they make a bunch of depictions of the thing being bad. And some people show up and they're like, man, I saw your depictions of things being bad and I am in. I, I, I also want to make things bad. Yeah, it, became, it uh, kind of, becomes kind of cool to wear the stuff instead of the point. Satire is only satire as long as it is is sat, like clearly defined as satire. You, if you're if you can be mistaken easily enough for part of the problem, then like uh... I notice leather jackets are a common thing. So um, leather jackets are a common thing because if you wind up having to punch a fascist, you probably want to be, essentially be wearing some degree of armor. Um, like that's that's the gist of that one. I think it. I think it's like a common look cool type of garment as well yeah I, don't don't get me wrong i think it looks cool as hell and i think that's definitely a secondary upside of it but the if you show up to any sort of punk group wearing a leather jacket and being like look at me i've got the coolest leather jacket they're going to tell you to get the hell out of there whereas if you show up in leather jacket because if you see richard spencer in the streets and you know teenage mutant ninja turtles does a good job of exploring that kind of weird alternative like reality if like if you've i'm talking about the original show um not like the, the the topic of teenage mutant ninja turtles like yeah the kind of original sh- show where like all the goons have like spiked green hair right well, it's, very, <laughs> it's, it's very cyberpunk huh? like Te- aside, yeah. from the fact that our, aside from the fact that our main characters are not particularly technologically competent it's basically taking the street samurai side of uh of cyberpunk aesthetics and applying it to... it's it's neat what we can reach to these kind of overarching things and, and like instantly have a wealth of knowledge behind that word when we go this is a little bit cyberpunk and people will immediately be able to go oh i see what you're, what you're talking about it's when the gm announces the new campaign and his four-player party show up having decided that all of them are playing fighters and they've chose matching theme names <laughs> so okay. now that we're like in our current age is there like a retrofuturistic vision of the future going on right now that's consistent, would you say? Well, I think given it's from the present, the word you're looking for is just futuristic. Well, yeah, but like I pointed to the 80s, right? I pointed to the 80s and I pointed to the 90s and like and I said like like that's only 20 years. So in 2020, is there going to be a tw- 2010s aesthetic? I think cyberpunk is probably the closest thing that we picture things becoming um because it's the closest like it was forged in the 70s 80s so it's the closest to our era and it still has enough future um that uh it's still kind of possible of course it's super awkward when you see like oh blade runner taking place in like whatever it was 2012 or something and it's like oh like you know then then we're like oh okay this is but i think cyberpunk is pretty pretty close yeah cyberpunk is close and it's also it was I don't want to call it like prophecy, but it was fairly accurate prediction of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. There's a there's an image that's been going around a lot lately on the circles of the internet I am generally in that I really like. That's uh 
the the picture of Captain Barbosa from Pirates of the Caribbean, except he's got like a bunch of neon lights photoshopped onto him, and he says, "You best start believing in cyberpunk dystopias, because you're in one." <laughs> I love it. I notice a certain aesthetic that I don't see a lot of people talking about, and it, it almost relates to Marvel a little. But a lot of movies have this kind of like you know the classic white spacesuits that NASA wears. And then they'll have robots in that kind of NASA aesthetic. And they'll be on spaceships that are built to look like the International Space Station. Mm-hmm. Um, like Apple. That kind of, it, to call it, it's very much a mod. Like, do, are, like, are we as sure that our spaceships are going to look like real satellites today? And they're not going to improve or change in design at all? Like, well, I know what you're talking the thing about. Is, yeah. I think we've, I think we've, I don't want to say we've given up on imagining a significantly different future, but I want to say at least that, because I, I don't think that, to be fair. I think there's a lot of content creators going out and creating really neat visions of the future and what it could be like. Uh, I think there's arguably a lot of sort of like robot punk stuff going on, if you look yeah. at that. But I think that a lot of, especially, I don't want to say like mainstream media, but like a lot of the things pushed by large entertainment conglomerates have a very this is as good as it's ever going to get, so settle down and stay comfy because we're going to take you for all your worth uh, attitude towards them, and that manifests in the the future will look basically like the most direct extension we can imagine of how things are now. We, we as the large controlling and as the mega corporations do not want you imagining a future where any significant revolution has taken place. Yeah, a lot of people feel like things lose soul in this kind of like future that is mm-hmm. being presented to us. They always say like it doesn't have soul anymore. It's lost soul. Well, Very think, interesting. You remember, you remember what I was talking about with cyberpunk about the idea that like a lot of cyberpunk games have this idea of losing soul or sense of self the more you replace with a machine that comes initially from the loss of who you are and parts of yourself to yeah. specifically corporations yeah the more the more like like we all start these kind of hobbies or genres with our own little circles and the more like built forever the majority it becomes and then the more sellable it becomes it it stops it loses its meaning like it becomes very much a commodity at that point yeah and and things have been increasingly commodified in recent i mean we joke about, you know, oh, but what if you had to take your your hand to the Apple store to get it repaired if it stops working? But, I mean, I don't want to say you basically have to take your employment contract to a large mega corporation if it stops working for you. And here's a hint. They aren't going to do things that are beneficial to you. <laughs> like, I, I get where people come from with that. And it's especially the last couple of years of just increasing hopelessness as we completely fail to deal with global warming or increasing income inequality or yeah, the rise of the violent right. Like there's there's a lot of hopelessness going around these hope days. Punk. Hope punk. Yeah, yeah. You, need, you need to keep that hope close because there's a lot of stuff out in the world trying to force it away from you. And as to extend that saying from earlier, if you're in the middle of a world that's trying to beat the hope out of you, the most punk thing you can do is to spread some hope around. I love it. That's so beautiful. I think it's interesting that we don't really like, do we even know if there is one right now? Cause the people at the time didn't look at their, the future they were predicting and go, that's not going to happen. But I think that, I think the thing is they were on the cusp of some of, 
of a digital revolution, of a societal revolution. They had so many things going on. There was so much change occurring at the times where these were written. Or in the later cases, when we look separate in the 80s and 90s, there was still a bit of change. I mean, the Cold War ended. Uh, a lot of various social rights things were going on. But things were slowing down, and there was a nostalgia for time when things were going to change and were still changing. And I think that that informed a lot of the decisions people made in making media. Whereas right now, people are tired, man. And and we need to keep spreading that hope that there isn't a lot left to go around. Yeah. I know that cyberpunk's kind of become the vision of the future. And and it's not a hopeful one. It's not even a warning anymore. It's arguably, at best, an instruction manual for how to resist. Right. And I think that's, I think that's really meaningful, because it means it's, it's important to what gets made. Which brings us back to where we started, because I, I noticed a lot of takeaways and themes that people, like experts, call on when they call on retrofuturism is a dissatisfaction with the modern world. Mm -hmm. um, and that this future alternative setting is perhaps more promising sometimes. Or, weirdly enough, in Cyberpunk's unique case, you want to escape it. You don't want that to happen. A warning. It's kind of like you re-evaluate all the technology we've created and how we've got here versus, like, who knows? <laughs> what could have been... Like how different technology could develop a lot of the time, or like where we want technology to develop, what we want it to focus. I will just quickly speak in that I think even cyberpunk, um, like I think what Colin said earlier was really important about how there are positive aspects to it, right? Yeah. And not just the prosthetics, but the entire internet thing, which the idea of a, a virtual internet space where you can move around is so often in those works seen as something that is a tool of oppression but also extremely worthwhile and valuable and people want like yeah. in, in the sense that, and that anyone can use anyone can use and it's the idea that so cyberpunk isn't about uh, a warning about a horrible future that you should avoid it is a warning that it is a warning against a corruption of that future it is a warning that there could be incredible things Mm -hmm. But if you're not careful, they will be used against you. Yeah, like the common aesthetic of cyberpunk is often a raining dark city, but you can look at a lot of things that take the opposite approach. Like Fifth Element, it's bright, it's very much a beautiful, moggy, but beautiful day out. I'm actually a little iffy about calling Fifth Element cyberpunk, to be honest. Like, I think it borrows a lot of aesthetic stuff, but some of the themes of that movie, I'm not certain fully. Like, Mind you, it's been a long while since I've seen it, so I'm not going to try and get into too much depth right now. But it is a bit of an oddity. It is. It's yeah, almost it's like an outlier because you can get combinations of the genres where they bleed. Like, is cy is cyberpunk really just the dark version of Adam Punk? Sometimes, yes. <laughs> like, sometimes it's like let's make Adam Punk awful, and then people will just be like, "Oh no, that's cyberpunk." Yeah, and it's it's in the back room at the end of the day, one of those megacorpses run by, you know, Harry Seldon kind of thing. Yeah. It's always interesting when they combine, like, uh, fantasy in with these kind of genres. Yeah. Like, Adam Punk and fantasy combined gets you Star Wars. Or steampunk and fantasy combined gets you a ton of different, like, interesting novels and movies, I'm sure. Like, Stardust, Neil Gaiman. There you yeah. go. I mean, even like even Shadowrun, which I've been using a lot as a cyberpunk example, has 
a, a core part of that game is the idea that in 2012 magic came back yeah and there is very much a dichotomy of like the hackers and the magical world and the people who can use the internet with their brain with magic mm-hmm. because that's their jam or there's sort of a lot of overlap there and a lot of playing them against each other of what does fantasy have to become to survive in the cyberpunk world. Yeah, and I also notice a lot of like psychics in the future. Mm-hmm. And it's particularly in a cyberpunk kind of envisioned future. And I always yeah. wonder like what exact because it's hard like it's almost always like humanity still has room to evolve and that's the evolution we get out of it. And that's almost like a call to biopunk, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually going to make that argument earlier, but it didn't quite fit in anywhere. Um, and I think there's, yeah, there's other elements of fantasy that work really well. So for like, I was just thinking about it and the idea of um, dragons as analogous to mega corporations that hoard wealth. <laughs> I've heard that before too. Yeah, it's great. Like, that's a, that's a big one in, in shadow run and it, it works really well. It's, I think it's actually interesting sort of bringing the idea that, we have always had stories that warn against uh, the ways futures could go. And a lot of older tropes were meant to inform these things. And the idea of bringing them forward and associating them with more modern tropes that are fresher in our mind as reminders of what their intent and meaning was is something that's interesting and worthwhile on its own. Yeah, I think the phenomena of like this retro futuristic kind of approach to well we've all really been dancing around which is nostalgia like it's we're trying not to say it so much because it keeps coming up (laughs) yeah but i mean that's kind of where all these conversations have led like it's interesting to me that these kind of genres have influenced things to the point where you can get a lamp and you look at it and go that's a steampunk lamp or you get like clothes, a, a style, if you will. Yeah. Or like you get a cl- clothes and style, or just a writing style, how someone approaches what they write now as part of this. <laughs> Less so about the writing, but I think when it comes to the clothing and the, the, the visual aesthetics of it, it's one of those things where it's always been sort of a failing a lot of punk stuff that it's easy to co opt. And yeah. if you are, you know, if you are a, a mega corporation who, wants to make money off this whole cyberpunk shindig but you don't want people actually you know looking too hard at the ideas it promotes it's very easy to make things that look cyberpunk and sell them at a huge profit to people who are functionally beholden to your company um in the same way that uh the hunger games movies for instance were like do you remember when those came out and every advertisement theaters was like capital brand makeup be the oppressive upper class from our dystopian sci-fi novel like we we want to market this to you so hard because there's so much money to be made off it don't think too hard about the themes please yeah the themes itself are at the end of the day embedded in that kind of I guess we lose that kind of humanity and original intention when they kind of get marketed and, and sold to us. Well, yeah, that's, I think that's sort of the premise is that the thing which, the thing that really um, stands apart as a dehumanizing force is corporations. Yeah, that's a common theme. Is like, even in, like in steampunk, there are none. Everyone owns the technology. 
and cyberpunk corporations own everything and atom punk there, there are no corporations <laughs> i think that's actually a, a that's something i wanted to reinforce and I think i've said it before i don't know if it really came across with steampunk is that it's set in the industrial revolution yeah there are people who own everything but it's things that people can take back. It's things that people can learn how to use to fight against that oppression. Yeah. And that's, I think, also true of, like, cyberpunk does it much more directly, where, you know, the idea that the internet is under corporate control, but if you're a hacker, you can avoid that control, you can avoid that ownership, and you can learn to take it back for, uh, to, to fight against that kind of oppression. It's the same theme across, right? Well, uh, cyberpunk is unique in the fact that it kind of urges you on like that, where the rest of them are like, when you want to be in this future, up, up until the point you re-examine them, when that future doesn't come to pass. Like, we can look back at each one, right? I think that's true for Adam Punk. I think less so for Steampunk, Dieselpunk, etc. Well, like, uh, Bioshock Infinite takes a look back at Steampunk and what that would actually be like. I don't think, so I don't think Bioshock Infinite is Steampunk. I think Bioshock Infinite is... Um, well, it's clouds in the sky, steampunk, steam-powered machines. Like it's, it is steampunk. And then they, they go, what would a bunch of white people taken into the sky at that point think of society? And they, they address the more uncomfortable aspects of that. And I then, like, I still don't think that's steampunk. I think it's missing. Um, so I think there's elements of it, like having this sort of little rolling around grappling gun thing that you can you're essentially uh taking control of civil infrastructure to well i i mean i just want to wrap this up and say like yeah for sure like just because punk like you want it or anybody wants it to mean a good thing like people have kept taken these genres and shown them for like what yeah, at the yeah. end of the day is what might really be there or like they sell it to you and it stops it starts losing a piece of what it was maybe originally and doesn't mean it anymore. I think that's the important thing is that there's a lot of people who don't want it to mean that any anymore, but we live in an era where it is morally imperative that we remember where that came from. Because spreading that hope around is arguably the most important thing there is left. Moving back towards a place where we can try and work towards a brighter future, that's basically the only good way forwards for us right now. I see a lot of people arguing that retrofuturism is a bad thing and that we should be working towards a better future than those futures present. Well, I think there is, I think that's the thing about um, Adam Punk stuff, about the idea that a lot of older ideas about what a bright future would look like have become dated, and we have to recognize that. And that glorification of in the original forms they took can be a form of sort of denying the progress that people have made and the progress we've made towards understanding what a better future would be. But I think they still serve as good narrative tools when used properly. And I think that remembering how to use them properly and what they are meant to do and what they're meant to bring forward in us is one of the more important things that a person can do in media analysis in the modern day. Yeah. And I guess that'll end our talk on retrofuturism for today. Um, once again, please like, comment, subscribe, and share the video if you enjoyed it. Send us a comment. Send us a comment if you want us to make a Patreon and tell us what we can put on it as bonus tiers. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to say first five people to do that will set up a bonus tier for it, but 
I make no promises because I don't actually control any of this, but I will bug my co-host here until he does it. That promise I do make. Yeah. I am Andrew Ryan, and join us next time for a topic on creativity. Ooh, creativity. Good night, everybody. Have a good day.